Hey everybody, welcome to Drive Through HR, the longest running HR focused internet based 30 minute available wherever you stream your favorite things show. Um, this is Dwayne Lay sitting in the captain's chair and today we're going to talk to one of my very favorite people in the space, Jonathan Kestenbaum. Uh, he's with Talent Tech Labs up in New York. They do some amazing work looking at our ecosystem, doing some great mapping, uh, lots of information out there just for the asking. So let's join and have a listen to all the things happening in their world. Jonathan, welcome to the show. How are you today? I'm doing really well. Thanks for having me. Excited to be here today. Oh, glad to have you. I love the work you do and uh, always a pleasure to talk to you. Uh, for those out there who are not familiar with you and what you do, can you give them a quick introduction? Sure. So Talentech Labs is a research and advisory firm focused on emerging talent acquisition technology. Um, we're really on a mission to elevate the state of the art in recruitment tech. Ultimately, we operationalize our intelligence about the space into research reports that we sell to heads of talent, CEOs of staffing firms, um, CEOs of emerging technology companies. And we do provide a series of advisory services on top of uh, the research subscription uh, to help companies go through a digital transformation in talent acquisition. Uh, but, you know, really focused on helping large enterprise companies go through a digital transformation. And, and how did you find yourself in this space? Like, I love the work you guys do. I love seeing the, the map you put out. Um, but it's a fairly unique look at the industry. And I'm curious, like, how did you end up here? What was your path like? Yeah, so pers on the personal front, uh, so I'm an attorney, a licensed attorney <laughs> still. Um, but I've always been an entrepreneur. Um, and so, you know, if something went missing in my house, it was because I sold it when I was a kid <laughs> uh, on eBay or something, something like that. Um, but, and, and both my parents were attorneys. And so anytime I started a business growing up, I had to call my dad to form an operating, you know, agreement or, you know, form an entity. And I got tired of that. And I kind of quickly learned that business, you know, revolves around the law. So in order, you know, to me, it was like, if I failed as an entrepreneur, I could always fall back and be an attorney. And so that's why I got that uh, degree. But um, in, in 2009, I started a brick and mortar tutoring company and ultimately um, brought it online, built a reverse auction platform where basically a student would ask for help. And then all of my tutors would bid against each other and get help for the cheapest price. And really, it was a talent acquisition technology company. And so that's that was like how I got started to get connected to staffing firms, um, in particular on the East Coast, because they were trying to figure out how they could leverage the reverse auction system for their contract labor. So if they could get a larger spread, um, you know, they would make more money. I ended up selling the company in 2012, and I got super passionate about the space. I realized after investing in a few different things after I sold it, um, like I wrote Jeremy Lin's biography in 2012 and printed 100,000 copies. Uh, and he was injured not for the season about two weeks after the book hit stores. Oh. And then I did a few other things. I actually had a handbag that we were selling on QVC, my wife and I. I realized that like if I wanted to make any money, I needed to focus on one area. And the area that I had a passion for, the area that I had built a network in, the area that um, I saw a huge opportunity um, in, you know, for innovation around was talent acquisition. And so I called the CEO of a staffing firm. I remembered this progressive CEO, Gene Holtzman. And I said, hey, Gene, you know, I want to get deeper in the space. Can you help me, um, you know, 
get connected to a, at the time it was like a venture capital firm, I think was my ass. And he said, I, I want to start an incubator. Why don't you help me figure this out? And so that was 2014, January. And that was when we incorporated Tomtech Labs. And really it was, you know, the goal was still very much the same mission, elevate the state of the art recruitment tech, but um, we did it by helping emerging technology companies go to market. So gave them office space, introduced them to heads of talent, CEOs of staffing firms, you know, funding sources. In some cases, we funded these companies ourselves. Um, and, and as time went on, we started to get calls from heads of talent and CEOs of staffing firms asking us, you know, when we published the ecosystem, for example, what does this mean for us? How can we leverage these technologies to become more efficient? And, you know, ultimately we said, okay, we want to advise heads of talent, CEOs of staffing firms in order to accomplish our mission, we need to help both sides of the market. And we launched the research firm in 2017. Uh, and that really uh, took over, uh, took a lot of our attention. And for the most part has been where we've been focusing our attention. 99% uh, of our revenue today comes from the buy side. So heads of talent, CEOs of staffing firms. Uh, but that, that's really how it's evolved. And, and you know the company's grown over the years. We have almost 20 people now. Um, and, you know, a lot of exciting stuff on the horizon. So I, I love the ecosystem. The, the map is one of my very favorite things. I remember the first time I saw it, I was blown away by, by how much is in there. Um, but I know a lot of people still haven't seen it. They don't know a lot about it. So can you talk about that a little bit? Uh, what is your ecosystem and how do people get a copy of it? Yeah, so one of the challenges early on when we were, even when we were just looking at emerging technology companies to invest in, was first of all, I never heard a bad sales pitch. They always sound good, right? They oh, they they're designed to sound good. Um, and and it, you know, every company either told you they had a feature or functionality or it was on their roadmap. Like no, they were not very clear about what they actually sell, and it was really confusing. And so, uh, what we decided we needed to do is to create a taxonomy so that we could understand what these tools actually did. And by creating this taxonomy we're able to track trends, you know, more, more accurately as things evolve. And so that was what the beginning of the ecosystem was, was it was actually a wall in our office where we would, when companies would come in with their logo, we'd, we'd make them put it on the wall in a category and you're only allowed to choose one category. And, you know, ultimately that became a digital shareable graphic. We've updated it, I think about 10 times, nine times, you know, in the last seven years, um, you know, and, and, some of these categories have become the category, right? That people refer to. Mm -hmm. um, but, you know, what, what that, you know, and, and the infographic that we share now, you know, we're tracking probably north of 2,500 solutions in the space. The infographic mm -hmm. uh, that you see now probably has 350 companies that we believe are innovative and influential in the space. Um, and, and, you know, ultimately it's, it's a good place to start. It doesn't mean that every, company, you know, every head of talent needs to use one solution from every bucket. It doesn't mean that you could build a business worth over $250 million in each of those buckets. Some of these are point solutions. It's really just a good uh, visual uh, and it's only one view, right? It's like a one lens, but it's a good visual of what features and functionality and revenue models exist today in the space. So when someone thinks about, okay, is there a technology that's solving this problem? You could, you know, get a pretty good understanding of what's mm -hmm. possible. So how many, how many times when you brought people into that room and said, pick a category, you can only be in one, 
how many times did you have people argue with you? It's like, yeah, but we're not really, but yeah, but, 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 but. Like that sounds yeah, like oh it's like excruciating, excruciating piece of work. Yeah, yeah, no, we, I, I get hate, hate mail about what category people get put in. Um, and uh, we even have clients. So, you know, we have like, we have clients on the head of talent side that are also TA companies. So some of the largest TA companies, their TA teams leverage us to advise them. And they'll call us and say, well, well, we shouldn't just be in this category. We have an ETS, we have a job board, we have a social network. And even though they're paying us, we don't put them in more than one category because mm -hmm. it just, it would confuse, it would confuse yeah. the space too much. Yeah. Um, so no, we, we, we definitely get, um, you know, requests. I, I could tell you that there's been a few times uh, where someone said to me, we don't, we shouldn't be in this category. Like, for example, I had someone in the bots category and they came to me and said, we're actually a CRM. And I said, okay, like maybe you did become a CRM, like pitch me. And if they can make a yeah. compelling case um, to us that they should be in that CRM category, hundred percent, we're moving them. But if we don't buy mm -hmm. into their BS, like we're not moving them. <laughs> <laughs> I, I think there's, there's a, you probably hit on that line where there's a difference between we we are an ATS versus we have an ATS, right? Yeah. And and it's like, but we have one, therefore we are one. It's like not really. No, you're still that other thing. You just happen to have added that feature. Yeah, we also we because we look at where they're driving revenue from. So if they have an ATS, uh, they're yeah, not driving yeah. revenue from that ATS. They're making money on their job board still. Like they're not an ATS yet, you know. Yeah. Uh, or at least they're not going to be categorized in the ATS category. They're still going to be, you know, in in the job board category. That's got to be that's got to be tough when when you look at all the M and A activity that's happened in the space over the last few years. So when when I'm trying to think of a good example of it. So when um, Infor picked up Enwisen as an example. So so did you do you keep them separate or do you say okay now you're part of Infor because you're packaged up so now you're going to go into that category? How do you deal with that? Yeah, it's really tough. Yeah, it's it's tough. So. Um, and it's, it's, it's something that evolves here. Cause like, you know, we do our best. We're not perfect. I'd say like, for example, um, page up acquired clinch. Yep. And I think we just have page up on the ecosystem now, but there are situations where, um, acquisitions happen and they still maintain selling that individual product in the market. And we, we share that individual product. Like, I don't know if we still have role. I don't think we still have role point on the ecosystem. It's now mm -hmm. part of job bite. Um, but I, it, it's like a case by case basis, I would say in that scenario, but you, you also okay. do highlight a really interesting point. Like, you know, when you think about a large scale macro trend in the space, and this is something we looked at in 2014 is there's significant consolidation going on. I mean, M and A, um, will continue into the next couple of years. Um, you know, it, I think it's it's super exciting. Um, part of the reason why we we focused on talent acquisition as opposed to more broadly looking into talent acquisition and talent management um, was because we we saw there were so many point solutions and the space was going to consolidate. And at the time, we wanted to get in front of that um, and try to understand what what the winning platforms were going to be. And I'd say. In spite of all of the consolidation that's happening now, there's still so much opportunity. Um, mm -hmm. You know, there's I, I'm just as excited about the opportunity in the space now as I was, you know, seven years ago when we started Talent Tech Labs. In some cases, like I guess maybe it's the amount of time I've spent focusing on the space, but 
like I see so much clearer, um, mm -hmm. you know, areas of, of opportunity than, than existed before. So, um, I'd say despite all the, the, the consolidation, there's still, there's still, um, room for exciting entrepreneurs to come into the space and build cool technology. So, so let's talk about that. So where do you see the biggest opportunities? If someone wanted to, um, you know, try to shake up the industry, they wanted to go out and create a great idea and, and build something on top of it. What do you see as, as the biggest areas of opportunity for that? Yeah. So I, I think we've seen, um, let me, I'm going to take a few, a few steps back just to okay. give you guys an understanding of how I, my thesis and what drives, um, what drives right. my thinking, you know, there are, there are technology as new technology makes its way into the world that there's drivers that change, you know, what's possible in enterprise technology. And so, for example, you know, when we went from, you know, on-prem servers to SaaS servers, you were able to build mm -hmm. a whole new class of technologies that were software as a service, as opposed to on-prem. When we yep. moved, when we, when we, you know, moved to mobile, um, you were able to build a whole new class of technologies that had, you know, mo mobile first technology, you know, technology. When we, when, you know, this whole concept of open APIs and data flowing seamlessly through systems, which was enabled by the SaaS, you know, you know, open internet concept, and that'll enable new, new technologies to be built. Um, this concept of AI first is enabling new technology. Each of those points in time, and some of them are, are more, um, are, are strong, allow for a, a, a more disruptive player to come in. Some of those not as much because you can add on, for example, mobile technology. It's not fundamental to uh, a business um, necessarily. Um, those allow new enterprise systems to enter a market and take market share from someone who might have historically had significant market share. Um, and so over the last seven years, we've seen two of those cycles happen. And, you know, I do think there's another one coming with blockchain. There's some really interesting, and I was, I, I avoided using the words blockchain for, uh, I'd say the last three years, because I didn't think it was market ready yet, or there were really uh, meaningful applications that were being built in the space. But now, like, I am so pumped about some of the stuff I'm seeing and what's possible there. Um, and I do think it's, it's potentially one of those uh, new technology drivers that will allow for new systems that could replace some of the enterprise systems. And we could talk more about that, but you know, yeah. what, you know, what all of that has allowed is um, new platforms to be built. Um, I think that we've seen, you know, significant uh, uh, adoption in some of these new applicant tracking systems that have open APIs. Um, you know, you look at like a greenhouse, you know, you look at, um, smart recruiters you, you look at, and now there's private equity money backing companies like, like that and iSIMS, et cetera. Um, you've seen significant um, investment in CRM as another platform that folks can leverage. And CRM is going to definitely expand more broad, um, you know, into really all engagement with known people. So people you have PII from. I still think there's a huge opportunity to build a platform around recruitment marketing. While most of the money is stored inside agencies today, I think there's a huge opportunity to build a piece of technology to provide some of that. Um, I also think there's a huge opportunity to build a platform 
that provides meaningful analytics across the staff. And so those are two areas personally that I think you could, there's, there's interesting opportunity. I would argue that within each of those larger categories I mentioned, um, there's, you could still build big, big businesses. I mean, there's, there's so much interest, you know, there's like just on the staffing side alone, there's this whole concept of uh, direct sourcing technologies. Mm -hmm. You know, there's a whole opportunity there. You can build a, a big business. There's a, a whole bunch of interesting stuff going on um, around like deployment platforms. Um, you know, again, about like uh, shift based work and, 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 that, you know, there's, there's lots of really cool technology and there will be some winners that come out of that, you know, you know, sprint. Um, and, and, you know, there's a lot of opportunity for someone to come in and build um, like a small point solution that solves a meaningful problem, scale the company to $5 million, you know, and flip it quickly, uh, you know, to one of the larger platform players. So there's still, there's still really cool opportunity um, in and around the space, but I'd say directionally, the large scale platform opportunities. I think there's one around recruitment marketing. I think there's one around um, analytics. So uh, you make it sound so easy, by the way. Yeah, you come in, build a company, build it up, five million, flip it, not a big deal. Um, so it's it's good to know that that's as simple as it sounds. Um, I'm sure that there'll be a lot of people jumping on that. It's um, hard. I, so let's let's step back to the blockchain thing. I think it's fascinating. So for for the folks in the audience who don't know anything about blockchain other than the name, um, where do you see that being an opportunity for for the tech space? Yes. Yeah, so there's there's two, and I, this is actually going to be our next trend report. So you guys are getting a, a little bit of an inside uh, an inside uh, you know scoop on on our thinking before we, we really publish a report. But I think there's there's really two main uh, things that blockchain's enabling um, that can be disruptive to uh, talent acquisition specifically, but more broadly, the every industry. Uh, one is this concept of putting the, the data in, in our hands, in the individual's hands, so we own our data. Um, so what that means is um, if, if technically I own my data, um, we can build, and, and there's ways using Chainlink and Deco and um, some of these, these new, um, you know, uh, protocols to prove that this data is valid without mm -hmm. sharing it outright with that sec the, the other entity. Um, I think you could, you'll see a whole new class of what I'm calling database list technologies. So like you could build basically an ATS without requiring the data, the candidate data to be stored inside of mm -hmm. the applicant tracking system. You can mm -hmm. build a CRM the same way, an HRIS system where data doesn't have to be stored in the system. So there's no security risk anymore for the company that's holding on to th that system. It's only a workflow engine that is literally verifying information and saying, okay, that's true. Okay, you know, this is who that person is and moving them through the pipe. So just mm -hmm. that alone, I think will disrupt SaaS businesses in all industries, but in particular, HRIS, CRM, mm -hmm. ATS, these are systems that hold candidate data and you will no longer have to do that. So I think it's one of those uh, opportunities where you could disrupt a, a player because from the ground up, building a system that, you know, leverages these, these protocols will make it so you don't have to store hold PII anymore. So that's, that's one, fascinating. Yeah, that's yeah. one opportunity that I think is is massive. 
that, and there are people working on that, which is why now I'm like feeling comfortable talking about it because there's actually meaningful things you can you can like use. Uh, you hear my son in the background saying, "Dad, dad." Um, he wants to be on the show. I understand. Yeah, they start early. Fans start early. Yeah. <laughs> um, the the second thing that it's enabling, which I think is also equally as powerful. Uh, so first, the best way I could describe it is uh, today, if you want to sell your company, right, you can sell your company uh, to a private equity firm, you can take it public, um, you could sell it to another company, um, you could do an ESOP, which means you sell it to your employees and they own it. Mm -hmm. um, but you can't really sell it to the community. Um, and, and by that, I mean, like you, you'd say, well, John, isn't taking a company public selling it to the community? Well, not exactly, because what blockchain enables um, through these, like what we're calling DAOs, decentralized autonomous organizations, is basically ownership by everyone who engages with the asset. So that means an, an, a customer who uses the technology is an owner of the is, is an owner of the, hmm. the the protocol because they get paid for participating in the network employees so everyone becomes an owner and so these DAOs these decentralized autonomous organizations are like co-ops um, where everyone that participates in the uh, you know company is is an owner and so I actually sit on the board of one a DAO focused on um, employment. Um, really about benefits. So mm -hmm. this company called Opolis basically is grouping um, thousands of independent contractors together um, and allowing them to get discounts on benefits. But mm -hmm. all of the independent contractors who run their payroll through the system are owners and they make money as more people join. So they're incentivized. It's aligning incentives. So they're incentivized to drive more people to be part of their co-op because everyone yeah. wins. Um, there's no, it's not like, oh, if I bring you in, my shareholders and my board are going to make more money because there's some big, deep layer of people making money. No, we all make okay. money because we got rid of that layer and we're all owners of this collective, you know, you know, intelligent organism <laughs> that, that, um, we're part of. So I think those two, um, now DAOs are not going to be possible in every industry, but you could start mm -hmm. to, if you think about, you have trying that, uh, you know, a, 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 a PEO that has mm -hmm. the traditional, you know, board and executive team extracting value and not sharing it with the, the employees or the customers. And then you have this new asset that allows for kind of incentives to align better and not have people extracting value when they're not, you know, a meaningful participant in that. You, you'll have these new types of companies that I think will be healthier they're like mm -hmm. networks of people that are all, you know, working together. So those two large scale opportunities, um, I believe, are going to enable new types of technologies uh, to be born, new types of companies to be born and mm -hmm. ultimately disrupt uh, some of the existing players. And this is what our this is like a little insight into what our trend report is going to be about in next quarter. I can't wait to read it. This is fascinating. Um, I've always I've always really enjoyed uh the power of individuals coming together uh and i don't mean like you know to build houses and build hope and that kind of stuff but i remember um and this is the kind of stuff my brain serves up to me uh you remember the movie ai from years back the spielberg I movie do. i do yes they did a the, like a viral marketing campaign that was all triggered by like in the like in the in the trailer they embedded a phone number 
like it wasn't really obvious, but it was like in the logo. Um, and it led down a rabbit hole to this huge big thing. But at, at the end of it, what they were doing is they were gathering masses of people in one place, like all over the country. They had all these different groups of people and they would give them like problems to solve. Mm -hmm. And what they were basically setting up is a, like a human version of a processor because they're like, yeah, if you get enough people together, like it'll outperform a computer. You've just got to be organized. And so they were kind of doing this proof of concept piece. And it was fascinating to watch. And I almost think of this as like an evolution of that. It's beyond just working together. It's now you are the organism. You are the entire. Yeah, organism. it's really cool. I'm, I, I really would, you know, so you hear things like AI and diversity, these buzzwords that become yeah. like all people talk about. And, you know, as, as someone who's trying to clear the noise, not create noise, you know, in the space, it's really, you know, it's, it's hard to determine when it's time to talk about something and when, when it's time to yeah. shut up or call bullshit on something. And so, uh, for a while, I was, I was hesitant to talk about blockchain because I didn't see any meaningful applications or uses mm -hmm. in the space. But now that I'm starting to, um, I'm, I, it's like, I, I had my, uh, you know, my matrix moment where I, I, I took the pill and I'm, I'm like, deep in the rabbit hole of whoa this yeah. is going to be fascinating to see you know it evolve that's so cool so thank you for sharing that I, i'm really looking forward to reading that report uh, the last in-person event i went to before everything got shut down was unleash in paris a couple of years ago we got into a whole discussion about ai and i and i where i ended up on it is like the first thing i learned um when so what when i was this is an aging thing when i was in high school we were learning basic it was mm. very exciting. We had, you know, our first computer lab. Um, and the first thing I learned about it was, you know, computers are dumb. They can only tell you what you told them first. And I look at all the AI stuff and kind of where I landed on that right or wrong was until that rule no longer applies, it's not really AI. Yeah. Like it might be learning algorithms. It might be machine learning. It might be, you know, big databases that is pulling information out of, but until a computer can tell you something that you didn't tell it first, yeah, really they're AI. largely today still intelligent workflows, not artificially yeah. intelligent workflows. Um, yeah, we say IA instead of AI. Oh, I like that. Uh, yeah. Intelligent um, automation. Yeah, but but the the bigger issue around that is is you know five years ago every pitch deck I looked at said big data, big data. That was yeah. the buzzword. Yeah. Now every pitch deck I looked at says AI. Now I get it. Okay, you theoretically have collected big data. Now you want to use artificial intelligence to make sense of it, but it's we're not there yet. I mean, the the we went and did a deep dive into you know what AI is being leveraged, and you know really for the most part it's machine learning and natural language processing, not deep learning and neural networks. And um, yeah. what that really lends itself well to is matching recommendation engines, prediction engines. So we do believe you're going to see better matching, and so you see companies like HireScore and I love mm -hmm. Athena and her team and the work that they're doing. Ideal was just acquired, um, hiring solved, Neil and, and team. And, and, you know, I do think you're going to see meaningful advances there in the short term. Uh, but things like um, automated, intelligent, conversational AI, like we are far away from that. Yeah, yeah. So we're, we're getting close to time here. I want to circle back to, to one thing you mentioned early on uh, and dig a little bit into it. I am curious all of the things you sold on eBay as a kid, like what, is there anything that you sold off that now you look back and I think, shit, that would have been worth so much money had I held on to that. Uh, I gotta think about what I used to sell. I, I was always, <laughs> I was always like, so uh, I, Sleep Boy Camp, when 
uh, you go, we go to Hershey Park. My friends would be on the rides. I would go to the Hershey store, buy the dollar chocolate bars, and then resell them at camp for three, four dollars. You know where there weren't any chocolate bars. So I was always, <laughs> I was always operating like that. Um, but thinking back to things I sold that I wish I didn't, um, I can't I don't know. That's a tough question. I, it's something I should think about. So give that some thought. Next time you're on the show, we'll we'll double back to that and we'll talk about it. Because I'm 100. Probably I, a better question to ask my parents. They're they're probably more frustrated about the stuff that I sold than than me. I I mean I I think back into I've had this conversation like the toys that I destroyed as a kid, like how much they're worth now. It's like well, but they're worth all that because we all destroyed them as kids, yeah. right? Um, gosh, I remember my Millennium Falcon that I had taken apart and you know, found a way to repurpose the parts and do other things with, yeah, it's, it's a uh, childhood was, uh, was a, a terrible time for investments as I've it's learned. Crazy. So. Now also blockchains enabling folks to take an asset like a collectible and mm -hmm. turn it into an NFT and sell a thousand different pieces off to a thousand different people and basically get liquidity without having to sell it to one person. You're basically turning that asset into a tradable Mm -hmm. thing like they just sold the declaration of independence for two million dollars by getting you know ten thousand people to buy a, a fraction of it pretty fascinating nfts are a, are a whole different area that we could dive into and i think we could probably spend two or three shows talking about that they, they fascinate me and i and i'll be honest like and this might be a good off my lawn moment but i don't really understand like i want to i want to own the rights to this particular tweet from 10 years ago like yeah that kind of stuff oh, I don't yeah understand. okay yeah but there are practical applications. I'll leave it. I'll leave it at this. Um, like one example of a practical application of an NFT is if you're an independent contractor and you create an invoice, and um, so what you can do is you could turn that invoice into a NFT and then create liquidity. So I can basically, if let's say I'm doing consulting work for you, uh, you know, you're going to pay me five thousand dollars for the project. You know, I create an invoice, send it to you. I can create mm -hmm. an NFT. When you sign it, we can go and trade it publicly on the market. So I can go get paid instantly $4,500 of the $5,000 that day, basically factoring using the markets. And then yeah. when you pay me, because it's now, a, it's got like a, that, that NFT is unique. Uh, when you pay me, all those people get paid their interest, right? So, um, and they, in the meantime, they can trade that, you know, on the market. So there are going to be some practical applications of NFTs like in the HR space generally, but some of the things like you're discussing in collectibles as NFTs or like these, mm -hmm. like just random pictures that artists are making. Like, I don't get, I don't get that. I only get an <laughs> NFT that has utility to it. Yeah. Um, so that's the first time I've heard of an actual use of an NFT. And <laughs> honestly, I I'm going to need to process that because that's a fascinating idea. It's basically selling off your accounts receivable. Yeah, that's exactly um, what it is. And exchanging, exactly. yeah, exchanging your 45 days for, you know, a 10% off the top for cash in hand. Yeah. Wow. There's a couple other really cool examples, but that, that one to me is the most fascinating. Um, but this is how things work. Like when there's a new opportunity, so like there, there's this new fundamental um, framework that, you know, blockchain's enabling and people are now just trying a bunch of shit, you know, they're trying and some of the things are going to just be stupid and someone's going to land on something like this invoicing thing where they're like, whoa, you know, that's, I'm actually, you know, they're using the same processes. They're just doing it for something that, you know, can make, you know, 
it's not a collectible. It's not art. It's, it can make an impact on someone's life. So th this is kind of the process that these things go through. And then ultimately people step in shit and they're like, oh man, this is, you know, I didn't realize that, you yeah. know, how big this could possibly be. That's crazy. Awesome. Well, I, this is, this has been really educational. Thank you so much. Um, we should do this again. Uh, we should schedule something out like after your report comes out, because I'm going to want to dive into that and do sure. a, a more of a deep dive conversation. Yeah, so. we're going to, when we do that report, we're going to have actual vendors that are providing what we're talking about as possible in this space, like there. So um, cool. yeah, pumped about it. Right on. All right. So for everybody listening, tell them where they can find uh, you. Tell them where they can find the ecosystem. Tell them where they find all the things um, yes. in case anybody wants to go get educated. So you can learn more about the ecosystem and our trend report, upcoming trend report at talenttechlabs.com. Uh, you can email me at the letter J at talenttechlabs.com. So just J at talenttechlabs.com. And uh, I answer every email. It might take me a little bit of time to get back to you, but I do answer every single email. So uh very appreciative, uh, Dwayne, for you having me on the show today and very much looking forward to reconnecting once you get that report out. Absolutely. Thanks so much for being here. It's a good show. Thank you. All right. Cheers.